My name is Stephen, by the way, I'm the pastor, and it's an honor to open the Word of God with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are so kind. Thank you that you use ordinary means sometimes to speak to us. But Lord, thank you that beyond the ordinary means, beyond just creation revealing your glory, you have given us your Son. That we might see Jesus and know you. Lord, you are incredible. Father, as we ponder the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord, we just bow in awe to you at your power, at your might, at your salvation, at your grace. Thank you for your word, God, that guides us. Lord, help us to fall in love more with Jesus, that every day we would come to you through your word, to know you and serve you and see you. Lord, let your word be the foundation of our lives because it is you, your testimony, it's your character. Lord, we bow to you and we look to you. Holy Spirit, we ask you, apply the word to our lives that we might serve you well and know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you open your Bible with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter is toward the end of the Bible, a couple books away from Revelation. So if you start at the very end at Revelation and go backwards a couple books, you're going to find 1 Peter. Peter is an apostle, and he's one of the original disciples who walked with Jesus. And as he's walking with Jesus, he's, uh, he had learned and grown a lot, and we get to see a lot about his journey from, from the Gospels themselves and from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we learn about Peter, but we learn mostly about Jesus. And Peter is leading the church, and he's stationed mostly in Rome and, and leading different big aspects of the church, but he's writing, le le writing letters all over. This particular letter, he's writing to those in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and he's sending them greetings, but he's also giving them instruction. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says this. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Starts off with a really great list there, doesn't he? <laughs> verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Praise the Lord for his word. God is so good to us. Have you ever built anything? Dads, moms too, Christmas is fast approaching, and you decide you're going to put together the bikes, or the Barbie house, or the whatever, right? Have you ever built something? How does it go without instructions? <laughs> Why do we think we can do it without instructions? I don't know. But we, have you ever ended a project that you've built the big Barbie house or whatever, and then you've got all these pieces left over, and you're like, what are, the, what are those for? And you kind of just quick get rid of them before your wife sees them? I've never done that. Never, ever. When you build something, have you ever built something that you're really proud of? That you see it and you think, man, this is, this is great. And you want to show it to people, don't you? So nowadays, you take a picture of it and put it online or whatever. But back in the day, you used to invite people over to your house and be like, look at this thing that I built. Or look at this new patio I put in or whatever it is. Building something is exciting, isn't it? Have you ever built something that you're not sure if it's going to last? If it's going to stand? I've 
Have you ever had the moment where you're like, I'm gonna build this perfect square, whatever, and you build it out, and then you pick it up and it's like wobbly weird all over the place, starts falling apart? We've all had those kind of experiences. Did you know that God is a builder? He's a builder. He's not about just hanging out. Here's where we see that. We see that right away in the Garden of Eden because God plants a garden and he puts man in the garden to tend it and take care of it. Really the whole world at this point. And man and woman together are going to be the Lord's representatives on the earth to grow this garden and to protect it and to, and to uh, name the animals and do all these amazing things. And so we see the Lord's order and structure in the family right away, but also just in the fact of being in a garden. Gardening is a big deal. It takes a lot of time and effort. You know, gardening doesn't just happen overnight. My little daughter, Nora, she, uh, she got some, she went to Target and in the dollar spot at Target, they had these little rose seeds in this little pack that you could get. And it's the, the worst cheap, I mean, it's the dollar spot, so it's horrible. But she got this little pot thing and she planted these seeds and she was so excited to watch them grow and set them on the windowsill like every little kid does. I'm like, where is it? You know, expect it's gonna grow today. And so every day for a week she would come like, Daddy, why isn't it growing? And then suddenly three weeks later, there's this one little sprout that's popping up. And she was just elated, like, oh, the roses. And then there was two, and then there was three. And she's, oh, the roses are coming. I, I made the roses. It's coming, and it took forever, and the patience of it. Gardening is hard. But God made us to be gardeners with him because he cares about creation. He cares about what he's doing. He's a builder. He's building up a people that would demonstrate his glory, his rule, his order, his kingdom, who he is, his character. And so he put man in a garden. You know, he still wants us to be builders, too. He wants us to be gardeners. And we hear that in, in Peter because he's talking to us, and he says that we come to him, Jesus, in verse 4, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is your purpose for life? What is your purpose for life? Have you ever been to one of those conferences and they say, take out a piece of paper and write down, what is, what is your calling? What are you good at? You start going through all these personality types and all this kind of stuff to figure out, what, how am I built and what am I good at and what can I do and how can I make that million dollars or whatever? How can I be a better salesman? How can I be a better teacher? How can I be a better whatever? And so we go to these things and we try to perfect what we're doing. Then we come to the Word and we come to church and it seems like we're so lost sometimes because we come to the Word and we see God's salvation, but then we're unsure. What is He doing? What are we supposed to be doing? What's life about? And this is what Peter tells us. We're being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Did you know that your purpose is to build like God builds? Your purpose is to build on Christ. He's our cornerstone. He's our foundation. He's our God. He's our everything. He's our source. He's our life. And the Lord fits you in to be a block, to make this spiritual house. Why a spiritual house? What does that mean? It's because God dwells there. He dwells with his people. Peter, or Paul said it this way, that Christ would be all in all. That we're being built up into this body together. This house together, this temple together where God dwells and where we offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable. You know, the priesthood had 
a couple major functions. Really important. Peter says here that we are this holy priesthood. The priesthood's functions were, uh, were important and they were essential. The main thing that the priesthood did was showed people how to come to God. That's what they did. So if you were lost in Israel or if you were a sojourner who came into the community and you want to know who God is, where do you go? There's a physical place you go. Where do you go? To the temple, right? You go to the temple because that's where God's sort of presence is on the earth, if you will. And as you come to that place, then you find the priests. And the priest's job was to instruct you in the scriptures on what does it say and how to come before him so that you can be right with him. And they would take you through sacrifices and all these kind of things that you would understand how, as a fallen person, you could come before a holy God in the place where he dwells. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus tells everyone, you'll tear down this temple, and in three days it will be built again. And the Pharisees are losing their minds. How can you say that this building that took us hundreds of years to perfect is going to be torn down and in three days you can raise it back up? But he's not talking about the temple of a building. He's talking about himself. And Jesus, who lived perfectly, who needed to bring no offering for sin, who had no reason to come before God, there was no block between him and the Father. There was no intercessory way that he had to come by some kind of sacrifice for himself. But because of his great love for us, the Father had willed that he would go to the cross and be the great sacrifice for us. Do you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? What physical things happened? It's not a test if you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But if you remember, interact with me, it's okay. The curtain is torn, right? What else happened? Darkness. What is that? Dead are raised to life. Earthquakes. Terrifying. So much so that the Romans are saying, surely this is the Son of God. The Jews are still shouting, crucify him. But the temple curtain is torn in two. In the temple, you know, there were only certain places you could go. So as you come in, if you're not of the right lineage, if you don't have the right blood, if you're not called and ordained in a certain way through a certain tribe of the people, you can't come into the most holy place. You can't come into the place where God's throne is. If you do, you're going to die. And even the priests who went in, they had to have special sacrifices, and that just one time a year, where blood had to be shed for them for their own sin. And then also to come before this holy God, they had to dip this blood in different places and put it on the altar, and they had to come in sprinkling it, and there had to be incense, and there was this special way of doing so, and they'd come through the curtain. And it was terrifying, because they're there standing with the God Almighty, who's above all things. Then the people come, and the people come to the temple to find the priests because they want to be right with God. And in doing so, they come up and they say, what must I do? And the only way that they could be right is if they bring an offering because their guilt is before them, before God. They can't even walk all the way into the throne room. But those guys who are ordained and those ones who sprinkle blood everywhere, now they take the people through this process and they say, if we shed blood for you, because the Bible says, if you sin, you'll surely die. And so life has got to be shed because of your sin. So life is shed and blood is poured out. Understand, imagine, imagine downtown Cardinals game or Blues game or whatever. You're at the, car, the game. There's just rivers of people. 
That's the temple. They're all coming to the temple every day. The sacrifices that are happening every day, there's rivers of people, there's rivers of blood. It's not a nice scene. It's gross scene. But then as you come into the temple, it's beautiful and there's gold and there's, it, it's, it's inscriptions of, ready for this, a garden inside. Because the purpose of the temple, the purpose of the sacrificial system was that God wanted his people to be close to him. But they couldn't because sin was in the way. And the only way that that sin could be dealt with is blood. Life poured out. And so instead of God's wrath coming on the person, God's wrath came out, if you will, on that animal that a priest was killing. The blood was poured, and now the priest could say, the Lord forgives you. You can go worship. And they come in and they see the inscriptions of this garden as they meet with God. And really met with God. There were times when a pillar of fire of God's presence came down and was over the temple. Amazingly, as people looked up and they could see him, but were terrified and stood back. They didn't want to come close. And said, you send the representative priests. You go for us. Moses, you go for us. Send someone else because if we go close, surely we'll be consumed. Sometimes we get this idea in Christianity that God's grace is cheap. That God's grace is just easy. That he just loves us and he just cares for us. And because he's kind, he just overlooks things. Christian, understand, God did not overlook sin. He poured out his wrath for your sin and my sin on the one perfect sacrifice, the great high priest who offered himself that we would come into God's presence. And because God's purpose was to dwell with us, he not only gave up himself, but on that day he died, the sun became black, the dead were raised, the earth shook, and the temple curtain that was four feet thick tore in two from top to bottom. Because God had made a way through his son that now people could enter into the garden of God's presence. Because the builder had laid a stone, Christ himself, through his perfect life and his death. And upon that stone, he was going to build up a new dwelling place, which is his church, which is you. How does that happen? It happens because God had foreordained that as Christ died for us and paid the penalty, he wouldn't remain dead. He would defeat sin and he would defeat death. Understand that the purpose of the resurrection was to give us life. And now knowing that He lives and the life of God in us, it makes us to live with Him so that we are those stones placed upon Him that we would be one dwelling place from God, with God. How do we know this is true? We know this is true because on Pentecost, the people are praying and the Lord said after His resurrection, stay here and wait and then you will see the Counselor come. And God in a demonstration of His glory fills the apostles and all those praying. It wasn't just the disciples. There were 120 in the upper room. And on that day, he fills them with the Holy Spirit. And what happens to them? Tongues of fire come upon them. All kind of miraculous things start happening. But what, what's there? The Holy Spirit. In what form? Fire above their head. Because just as God had filled the old temple and demonstrated his presence in a pillar of fire over the temple, now the new temple of the living stones that he had built upon Christ we're being filled up to again be built into this garden of His grace and the fire of God's presence was resting on them because the old temple with its actual physical stones was no more. 
They're not important anymore. Now there is a new temple that's living and alive, and everywhere it places its foot. This is his church, the bride. God's presence goes. Why? His plan is to dwell with people. How incredible. What's our purpose then? What are we supposed to do? We're being built together. Built together into this spiritual house where all of us as we come together function in all the giftings that God has given us that people would see, excuse me, would see the Lord and see His grace. Paul says it this way. He says all the giftings that we have of tongues and prophecy and, and service and, and mercy and all these things come together when we assemble so that unbelievers would come in. And what would they say? Do you remember from 1 Corinthians? God is surely in this place. It wasn't that, wow, what a great minister. Wow, what great individuals. Wow, what exciting people. Wow, what neat music. Wow, what a great building. None of those things. Instead, they come in and they see the joy in the heart of God's people crying out to Him in praise. And they see the gifts functioning together. They see everyone built up in love. They see living stones built upon the cornerstone. And they say, surely God is here. Because God's purpose is to dwell with people. And He is here. He really is here. And He's here in you. He's here in me. He's here in us together. That's why we sing songs. The reason we sing songs is not just because it's entertaining and fun and good. I love music. Music's great, isn't it? But we don't sing songs because music is good. We also don't sing songs because people expect it. We sing songs because the songs become a corporate prayer that we can say together at one time. And we've said all the words together as one people as we worship God. And He's glorified because His one people as living stones are offering spiritual songs to Him. To say thank you, Jesus. To remind ourselves of the gospel. To build up our brother and our sister. To see each other walk out the faith that we have. To know him and to rest upon his word. It's so good, isn't it? And it's different, honestly, than singing alone in your car. That's great. Sing alone in your car, by all means. Maybe you can roll down the window so people can hear you. I love Jesus. It's fine. Just do that. It'll be great. Get a big stereo. Why not? The kids are doing it with the rap music anyway. So, But see, have, it, have it. Sing in the car. It's wonderful. But when we get together, when the people are together, it's different, isn't it? Why is it different? It's different because he's indwelling us. You know, he's with you. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He promised it, and he won't. But at the same time, when we're together, there's something special. We're going to pray right now for uh, Audrey Goodwin. Do you know Don and Audrey Goodwin? With COVID, they haven't been around a lot. They were members years ago for a long time, and then they had a little break uh, where they were traveling and doing some stuff, and they've been back now for about a year and a half, something like that, two years. No concept of time. And uh, I just got a call from Audrey. She's been diagnosed with breast cancer. Aww. And it's, it's aggressive, and it's, it's not good. Um, she had just recovered within the last six months from a broken hip and spent months and months in rehab. And so it was yeah, glory and it's good and things are going well. And now this has happened. Let's corporately pray for her all together. We can pray for her in the car. You should. Please do. Reach out to her. She'll be blessed. She and Don, they'll be blessed. But let's pray corporately that God will hear our prayer for this sister, a member of our body. She would know his grace. She would know his healing. She would know his peace. She would know his presence because she can't be here.
But you know, the Lord can, ex he can go past boundaries, can he? Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Pray with me. Father, thank you for Audrey. Lord, thank you for Don. Thank you for the Goodwin family. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Father, as one people united knowing you, Lord, we reach to you for this sister. Father, heal her. Lord, let her walk out all her days in strength until the day that you call her home because, Lord, your word says that you number our days. So, Father, we pray that she would have longevity, Lord, that she would have peace, that her body would be at peace, Lord, that her treatments would not be a, a threat to her, but instead would be grace to her. Father, we pray that there would be wisdom on all fronts, that Don would be a husband ordained by you because he is. Lord, you gave him to Audrey. Lord, so I pray for a special anointing of strength on him as he serves his wife, as he helps her, as he directs her to you, the chief shepherd, that she would know peace in you. Father, your word says that you lie us down by green pastures, Lord. You restore our soul. Restore her soul, we pray in the name of Jesus. Restore her, heal her. Father, make her effective for your kingdom. Father, for all her neighbors, everyone around, I pray, Lord, that they would know that she is a servant of the Most High and that your hand is on her. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for peace on her body, peace on her home, peace on her family. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. It's better when the body comes together, isn't it? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter starts talking about suffering and things like that happening. Because it's real, isn't it? Suffering is real. And suffering for the gospel is real. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you suffer a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're going to start a new little series here on being restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Aren't those good things? It starts with an understanding that God is building us up as a spiritual house together. We're not going to touch, we'll have more weeks to touch on these things, but just as a little taste. God has designed the body to be built for his glory. He has gifted you to be a part of the body for his glory and for someone else's benefit and for your benefit. 
How good is God? He's very good. God's plan for you is that you would be restored, that you would be confirmed, that you would be strengthened, and you would be established. If you are feeling rotten, if you are feeling weak, if you are feeling like you're all over the place and you don't know what to do, if you are feeling like you're not established, come to the chief cornerstone. His name is Jesus. He died, he rose again. If you believe in him, if you've said, Lord, forgive me, I want to be yours, bring your sin to him and say, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And know him the true temple. That as you come to him, you'll find yourself built upon him that you'll know God dwelling in you. And it will begin to heal all these things in your heart because in our lives, we try in our pride to do things apart from God all the time. Find our own strength. Find our own establishment. I'll restore myself. I can do it. It's going to be fine. And it always fails. But he never fails. If we build our life upon Christ, you will know the peace and the grace of God. And I'm going to tell you this because it's COVID. You can't do it alone. This is not just a ploy to come back to church. I'm not saying it that way. But I'm telling you, the world is trying hard. The devil is prowling around like a lion trying to devour. And right now, he's using the internet to do it. Because we think we've got everything and we're fine and good until you're not good. It's not, it's not good. We're meant to be together. We can do things by distance, by telephone. We can do things by internet. But if we don't do it together, it's not according to the word of God. And there's a lot of people trying to build themselves upon the cornerstone in far places that are not connected. It's not what God wants. And I'm not just saying that for New Covenant Church. I'm saying that for the church. The whole world is going through chaos right now. But our God is established forever. He never fails. His work is done. He tore the temple curtain in two that you could come into his garden and then he would build upon the foundation of Christ and build you up to be a spiritual house with each other where everyone who meets us says, surely God is there. Isn't that a good hope? So come, we're going to be in this series for several weeks now. Let's get restored, confirmed and strengthened. Let's get established on the word of God, on Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. And we will see the Lord glorified.